Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy and friends are resting this week and will return next week. However, we have a leader from our local church community giving today's message. Be seated. We're going to take a moment to practice the rule of life, some silence and solitude before the Lord. So if you can bow your heads and exhale, and just allow all the automatic, ruminating, harassing thoughts that might be attacking you this week before the feet of the Lord, and just lay it all down. And inhale the transcending presence of God, his love for us, and the life he holds in his hands. Sarah Young, Jesus Calling, May 1st. You are on the path of my choosing. There is no randomness about your life. Here and now, comprise the coordinates of your daily life. Most people let their moments slip through their fingers, half-lived. They avoid the present by worrying about the future or longing for a better time and place. They forget that they are creatures who are subject to the limitations of time and space. They forget their creator who walks with them only in the present. All God's people pray. Amen. Now Paul will come and give us the word. One minute to get settled. Timer on. Okay, we're good. Um, <laughs> okay, so uh, my parents and my in-laws uh, have been been on my mind a lot recently. Uh, just parents getting older, things like that. Uh, they're approaching a new phase of life, namely retirement, and I found myself conflicted about what it means to take care of my parents and my in-laws. Uh, can we get up the first slide? Um, and so the questions that come to mind are like, to what extent do I have to take care of them? Towards what end? Um, what does a healthy dynamic look like in taking care of the parents? Uh, what's considered enough? And am I enabling bad behavior through my helping? So all of these questions, uh, definitely something that I think everyone will experience at some point if you have parents. Um, so as a Korean American, uh, influenced by historical period peace Korean dramas um, what inf <laughs> that inform my views on family, uh, filial piety, and my responsibilities towards my parents, like all of those things uh, get kind of thrown into the mix. And uh, so inevitably, Confucianism also gets thrown into the mix, so we'll talk about that. But um, today, we'll uh, contrast Confucianism and Christian, Christian perspectives on the family. And I hope that this reflection on filial piety spurs similar reflection in you on different ethnic and cultural practices that influence and matter to you. So use this as a starting point um, for thoughts uh, later. But general breakdown of what we're talking about, uh, Confucianism, the two uh, central tenets, which are uh, favoring, the, favoring the intimate, respecting the superior, and then uh, the Christian backdrop of 
biological family, the faith family, and some practical application. All right, so getting right into it. Uh, next slide. All right, so if you've been following my sermons, um, I had a sermon on God and money, uh, and then which covered you know, the, the dilemma of retirement. Uh, I also spoke about Jesus culture within Christian communities. And as it turns out, I'm not the only one that's interested in aging, money, and culture. Uh, apparently, a lot of people are. And so uh, among the hot research topics of today are issues surrounding population aging and elder care. So due to the global trend of population and aging, uh, people only get older, they don't get younger, uh, governments are searching for solutions to address the cost of care. Um, and so greater attention is being focused on elder care and its relevance to filial practices. Uh, so naturally, researchers around the world, especially China, um, but Asian countries around the world as well, um, are investigating the influence of filial norms on adult children's support of their elderly parents in order to share the public financial burden of elder care within the family system. Basically, they're looking for solutions, because <laughs> right now they got none. Um, so filial piety, what is it? Where did it come from? Uh, we'll do somewhat of a deep dive on that. Uh, next slide. So filial piety uh, is a core pillar of Confucian ethics. It specifies moral, material, and emotional norms for child parent-child relations. So essentially, uh, it explains the basis, or it explains a, an understanding of how should we do this. Uh, but in addition to prescribing family norms, it also provides the social and ethical foundations for maintaining social order. So uh, essentially, what should the family do? How should the family behave? That then gets extrapolated to how then should societies run. Um, so it has influenced Chinese patterns of child, uh, parent-child relations, as well as Korean, and socialization for thousands of years. So this predates Christianity by quite a bit. Um, so filial piety, or ideas of that, started around 500 BC. Um, so yeah. Uh, so pre-Confucius, where did this all come from? Filial piety originated in ancestor worship. Uh, you see it in Korean dramas, uh, and you know, yeah, so watch Netflix, y'all. Uh, <laughs> emperors uh, trace their lineage back to a founding ancestor god, and what they would do is if you give these ancestor gods appropriate sacrifices, they would provide guidance on important governmental decisions and protecting the family, things like that. So essentially there was this relationship where uh, worship them, hopefully that leads to good outcomes. Uh, type deal. Now, the duty to provide for ancestors trickled down to common families. So it wasn't necessarily just the emperors, but it also went down to common households. So the head of the family obtained authority to run the family by performing ancestor worship duties and receiving guidance from their ancestors. So this essentially became their justification. Because I am the one in communication with my ancestors, therefore I have authority to make family decisions. Um, so it provided the organizing principle of running the family within Chinese societies in general. Now, Confucius uh, took these ancient beliefs, and what he did was he redefined it and made it a lot more practical. He made it not necessarily about ancestor worship and simplified it into two specific concepts. Um, so instead of emphasizing uh, family, uh, so instead of emphasizing ancestor worship, he emphasized family, virtue, orderly, societal relations by introducing two principles. And so we'll talk about what those two principles are. But one, favoring the intimate, 
uh, and then respecting the superior. Uh, both were important in specific periods of history, but you have to know that eventually one evolves into the other. So the first is favoring the intimate, and essentially what it means is preferential treatment for one's kin. So if you are within my household, I have preferential treatment towards you. Um, Conf uh, Confucius described parent-child interaction as motivated by affection and the principle of reciprocity. So principle of reciprocity, reciprocity meaning that all helpful behavior at one point needs to be returned. So there is this basic fundamental belief that undergirds all of Confucianism, and that's the principle of reciprocity. So affection and reciprocity uh, should ideally flow both ways, uh, but children have a fundamental obligation to their parents for giving them birth. Uh, apparently this is a huge deal, and so we will never be able to pay this back. Uh, and so that's kind of the whole idea, but children are obligated to return the care that they receive from their parents by showing respect and looking after their parents in their old age. So this is what was expected. Um, now, what happened to that? Well, eventually, uh, that principle then got extrapolated out to how then do you use this to run society? And so that's where respecting the superior came in. Um, and again, this is all over Korean dramas, but basically the respecting your elder, superior, all of that stuff. Um, filial piety eventually shifted focus uh, in order to focus less so on the family and more so on society as a whole. And uh, it specifies that superiors within the family play the role of decision maker, much like the emperor in the old days, to ensure family solidarity and prosperity. So accordingly, superiors make decisions on behalf of their subordinates, and uh, basically the practice of filial piety required submission to the hierarchy and suppression of self-autonomy. So essentially, I give up my self-will, I allow myself to submit to the powers that be, and um, yeah, essentially. Uh, the shift in emphasis uh, to respecting the superior served to strengthen political sovereignty with patriarchal authority representing the emperor's authority. So essentially, it was all to get at this point that, hey, in order for society to work, we need to all kind of submit to this thing. Um, ultimately, the point of favoring the intimate and respecting the superior was to create moral justification for obtaining authority to maintain social order. So all of it was for this particular purpose. Now, having explained all that, <laughs> the reason why I wanted to bring this up was to draw a contrast with the biblical image of family. And that's where we're headed next. So, uh, next slide, please. Cool. Um, so Adam, Eve, two sons. All right. Uh, Bible begins with one family, a biological family. Genesis opens with a solitary human individual, and he was given authority. Um, we, we know this by reading Genesis. Uh, but God quickly determines it's not good for the man, uh, that the man is alone and brings every animal to the man in order to be judged and named, but found no helper fit for him. Uh, you can find that in Genesis 2. The story emphasizes his need for companionship, and so Eve was created uh, from his own side. Uh, woman was taken from man and for man, and the two became one. Um, that's explained in 1 Corinthians. But Genesis also adds, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, Genesis 2. So this original pair, um, which was one, was one out of one, 
became one again. <laughs> uh, this original pair was created for a certain purpose. Um, God had told them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over every, li every living thing that comes onto the earth. Um, so the male and female, who are made in the likeness, likeness of God, were to make children after their own image and likeness. So that was part of the deal. Um, now, Herman Bavink, Bavink, B-A-V-I-N-C-K, uh, describes uh, childbearing as a reflection of God. So the two-in-oneness of husband and wife expands with the child into three-in-oneness. Uh, father, mother, and child are one soul and one flesh, expanding and unfolding the one image of God, united with in th uh, threefold diversity and diverse within harmonic unity. Um, essentially, the domestic arrangement is the foundation for all social order, same as uh, the point of Confucianism, but the authority of the father, the love of the mother, and the obedience of the child form a threefold three cord that binds together and sustains the relationships within human society. Uh, authority of the father, the love of the mother, and the obedience of the child. So as a point of contrast, authority, love, and obedience that flows within families is not out of obligation, as we see in the Confucian model, but because of a sense of identity. Um, this is what exists because they are reflecting an image of God. Um, so the first family, together in unity, is a reflection of God's image, the Imago Dei. But we quickly find that this family and its members fall into sin. Um, we, it's almost immediate in the Bible. Unity is corrupted. Um, male and female can't trust each other. Uh, as a result, they hide their bodies from each other. Uh, relationships that reflected God no longer reflect God, and the authority, love, and obedience that coexisted in abundance ceased to do so. Uh, unity was lost and the human family was broken. But not only was the nuclear family broken, so the immediate fam family, but God's gift of procreation to multiply the image of God was also broken. Um, so divided families became rival tribes, rival tribes became warring nations, um, and we see the result of that uh, in the Old Testament as well as even today. Um, so it's clear that from the very beginning, God intended for the family, um, all of humanity in their diversity, to reflect the image of God, right? All of, their fam uh, all of humanity together was originally intended to reflect the image of God. But as we sinned, every generation continued this pattern of brokenness and the fracturing and the rivalry uh, between husbands and wives, fathers and mothers, and brothers and sisters just expanded the divide. So God scatters the nations and chooses one family, which becomes the nation of Israel as an instrument to bless all the nations. All right, so moving on from Genesis to the New Testament. Uh, next slide. All right, and then Jesus arrives. Uh, so Jesus in his ministry redefines what it means to be a family. That primary to our relationship with others and even our own families, is our relationship to God. Um, so just reading off these two verses, John 1, 12, Yet to all who did receive him and to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And then also Matthew 12. Uh, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers uh, stood outside wanting to speak with him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak with you. He replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? 
pointing to, his, pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So Jesus clearly says that membership into God's family was not determined by bloodline, uh, but by faith in him. And that God's family grows through the spread of the gospel. And in the case of conflicting loyalties, Jesus responds in Luke 14, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father or mother, wife and child, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Um, so all of this was said, Jesus brings a new uh, meaning of family. Uh, but Jesus came to us as a man uh, with a very specific social location. He was a Jewish working class male born in Bethlehem. His ministry and his focus was clearly on Israel. And he came to teach and fulfill the mission of Abraham's family. And he goes out of his way to make sure that he focuses on Israel and avoids uh, being around non-Israelites, even though they keep coming to him. Uh, he still made an effort to try to avoid that. Uh, but he did this so that Israel could be a blessing to many nations. Um, he was the faithful Israelite who in his own person embodied the family of Abraham surrendering himself fully to God and to God's purposes so that God's mission to all of the nations can happen. And then Jesus commissions his disciples to go all over Israel and then to Samaria and then to the ends of the earth, making followers of every nation. Okay. Uh, next slide, please. So Jesus arrives, right, uh, and he delivers the good news to Israel and the disciples. And now the disciples need to figure out, what do I do with this? What do I do with this good news? Um, so the work of Paul and the disciples and the early church was to form a community worthy of the good news. Um, so God is reconciling all of creation back to himself through Jesus. Um, what does a community that embodies that look like? Um, but Jesus, but like Jesus, Paul and his disciples have a social location. They operated within a defined culturally acceptable and unacceptable practices and behaviors. So they, they had to operate within culture. Why? Because they themselves had culture. Um, and so in order for the church to work, in order to make our relationship with God primary, they determined that any ethnic or cultural practice or criteria that separated a person from the love of God and created a vision within the family of Jesus compromised the gospel. I'll read that again. In order for the church to work, in order to make our relationship with God primary, they determined that any eth ethnic or cultural practice or criteria that separated a person from the love of God and created a rift or a division within the family of Jesus compromised the gospel. So that is, they weren't going to let things like food or circumcision get in the way of the good news. Um, but because, because ultimately, the good news is that we have one savior, a family of God in which Jesus is our peace. Uh, not only our basis for peace with God, but peace between Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and free, young and old, powerful and powerless. When the church community consists of people who outside the church would hate each other uh, and would never eat together, but when they gather, call each other brother and sister in Christ, that's an incarnate display of the wisdom of God. Okay. And then, next slide. So returning to the questions that I had at the very beginning, what does it mean for me to care for my parents and in-laws? Uh, to what extent, towards what end, 
what does a healthy dynamic look like? Uh, what's considered enough? Um, we still live in a reality where families aren't perfect. Um, authority gets abused, uh, obedience is demanded, um, and entering into the family of Jesus doesn't mean that our ethnic and cultural responsibilities are suddenly gone. Um, becoming Christian doesn't mean we lose our diversity. Um, it doesn't mean becoming ethnically colorblind or erasing our family identity. It doesn't mean that we lose our responsibilities to take care of our families. Uh, but it does mean that we are children of God first, uh, and that our peace with our families comes from Jesus alone. Uh, so cultural practices like looking after parents, while not primary, uh, can be expressions of our love for God and our neighbor. Um, and so that was the general gist of the message today, but essentially, uh, I guess just on a personal note, I was just thinking and reflecting just how, like, how do I make sense of the things that I've been taught growing up in relation to, you know, what the Bible tells me about Jesus becoming primary. And so a lot of the times, it, it's, it's trying to figure out, like, how do I unpack all of the hidden nuances of things that just seemed very, like, passed down is almost common sense. Um, but, but after you know, revealing a couple layers, realizing, oh, it comes from somewhere. Now how do I, in my faith, deal with that? How do I unpack that? How do I, um, how do I put, it, put it, surrender it under Jesus? And so ultimately, that was kind of the point of the sermon today. Um, so if I could have P. Sam come up. Um, and uh, I guess I'll just pray us close. Uh, God, thank you for culture, um, putting us in the places and the positions and giving us the background that's, that we have, and ultimately realizing that those things, um, you know, are unique and they don't necessarily separate us from you. And I mean, ultimately, you're on a mission to redeem those things, um, to ultimately have those things also surrendered to you as well. So God, I pray that we could, as we explore the things that, the lessons that we've always grown up with, um, may we shine the light of Christ on them how they can fit in into your picture of family, God. I lift this up in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul, what, what happened? No tears today? <laughs> will, will you stand with me? Now, I think that this moves into a broader topic of navigating through the family of origin. I mean, families being imperfect is an understatement. Um, the dysfunction of the inherent values that are passed down to us uh, from the psychosocial positionality of what, you know, the place of origin geographically, culturally, spiritually is passed down. Um, and I think that this conflict these competing values that collide are critical to navigate and think through. I mean, I hear phrases like, uh, especially 
Christians say, if my parents knew I was tithing, they would kill me. If they knew how much I would, they would literally murder me. I hear phrases like that, which demonstrates Paul's point. Uh, who has say in how I live my life, right? And when you become a Christian, when you join, that's why when baptism we say when you join the, the family of God, that is superseded by Jesus being first. And if you look at the Ten Commandments, it's structured in a way where it says, honor your parents, but the first commandment is not to have any other gods before me, right? Which is the priority, the chronology of the way structured our values. But then the way we deal with regulating emotions, trust me, if your parents fought a certain way, that's how you're fighting in your marriage. You learn to throw things. You pick that, you pick that up from somewhere. And so I think this overview, this collision it's great because it, it asks us again to examine who is number one in our life. Which value is supreme in our lives? And then, I think we should go into this more, Paul, where we could see some tears because that's what we hope for every time. Um, is, what about the idea of codependency? How much is too much? How do I deal with Abuse, how do I deal with dysfunction, unhealth? All those questions when it relates to the family. Because we feel this obligation, deep embedded obligation, no matter how unhealthy it is, that it might be sabotaging that phrase Paul used, uh, Jesus being a Jew, fulfilling in the example of Abraham living for the purpose and mission of God. What does that look like? And I think those are good questions to ask. And, and this is a big one. You could ask any therapist, any counselor, how do we forgive our family? And that's where Christ comes in as well. Not only do we honor our family, how do we forgive our family? So let's pray right now together. Will you lift your hands with me to the Lord? Will you surrender your family together? Can we do that today? Whether they believe or do not believe, can we surrender our family to God, the ultimate Father that supersedes all psychosocial, cultural, religious, because he is the ultimate creator. And for, uh, and, and just in a minute, as we pray, I want to sing, um, we have a father. Um, he knows my name. I want to sing that for ministry. Um, and I want you to think about this, right? I mean, ultimately, when we look at the perspective of Christian origins, the creation and the universe itself is our relation, meaning they're sort of our cousin. Space is our cousin. The earth and our solar system was baked in the furnace of a supernova before the so our solar system was formed. 
Meaning the same ingredients that's in our star is in you. That's because God is the father of all creation. And when I talk about family, it's like deep and hurtful and inspiring. I don't know, ambivalent, right? <laughs> but what a hope in, in Jesus. What a hope that we can commit all of that complexity to the Father of all creation. Amen? So let's make this our prayer today. Father, we want to pray this afternoon for our families, our kin. Now, Confucius might have influenced 80% of the population, all of Asia, which is 80% of the world's population, that we should give special treatment to our family, which is, I mean, I don't think you need to be a philosopher to be like, well, I should treat my families nicely. That's why I'm like, when I think of Confucius, I'm like, wow, he wasn't really that smart. That's like saying don't steal, don't take from people. It's kind of like the Ten Commandments. It's not like brain science. You know, can let people keep their stuff. Don't steal people. Don't be jealous. I mean, those are just sort of the moral laws C.S. Lewis talks about. Now, what's challenging and what's revolutionary is what Jesus says to, tr to love our enemies. Now, that's revolutionary. To pray for them, to root for them to heal them, to be generous with them. Now, that's very interesting. And especially in New York, you should all be enemies. When you get in line for Shake Shack, when you order Uber Eats, you might get my dinner before me. I mean, I don't like you, really. If you're in medicine, you're competing against grants. You're competing against fellowships. You're competing against glory. 
right? Bill Gates' daughter is in Mount Sinai doing, finishing, and not that she needs it, but I mean, but we're supposed to be enemies in a competitive marketplace economy, which is really social Darwinism based on natural selection. We talk about systemic issues all the time. But the cross has changed everything about Western civilization. Jesus died a brutal death as a microcosm of what the world understands, which is power and brutality keeps people in their place. Now, 2022 years later, it is looked upon more justly in its magnanimous to suffer instead to make others suffer. We look at Ukraine, Putin is a pariah, pariah because he makes other people suffer than inflict suffering, right? I mean, the U.S. government is writing billions of dollars to aid in that suffering, to mitigate it. It goes back to Jesus. He's changed history. And today, I am so proud. As the historian from Oxford, Tom Holland, not Spider-Man, but the historian from Oxford, says in a piece recently, I was wrong. My morals and ethics that I believed I once received from the Ro Romans and the Greeks are actually from Christians, and I'm proudly Christian. Let's think about that, the legacy we're part of, how we've changed the world we could take for granted, and pray for our family to experience the love of the Father today. So let's bow our heads in prayer for the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. All God's people say, amen. Go in peace. Don't fight at Shake Shack. So glad to see you all here. My name is Haley, and I'm a member here at 180 Church, and I will be sharing some community news with you. First off, let's talk about tithes and offering. If you're a member here at 180 Church, we ask that you continue to keep God at the center of your finances and to tithe faithfully, which you can do using Venmo, Zelle, Chase QuickPay, or PayPal. If you're a visitor here with us today, we welcome you to our service and there's no financial obligation to give. But if you'd like to make a donation, you can do so with the methods above. Next, we have Bible Reading Group. We have an Instagram handle and a Tumblr page at 180BRG where you can join us at any time to read the Bible. Feel free to follow along and feed your soul with the Word of God. Next, there are devotionals on sale at the 180 Cafe. They're great to help you get in the habit of praying and connecting with God every day. Sometimes I find it hard to find, form the words to pray, but these devotionals have been so helpful and inspirational. They're available at the 180 Cafe and it's an honor system. So you can purchase them via Venmo or QuickPay. Speaking of prayers, we have our prayer hotline. We invite you to use this resource to ask for prayer for anything or anyone in your life, and it's completely confidential. 
you can text 539-7-PRAYER or email prayer at 180church.tv and know that there will be a team praying for you on the other end. Prayers are so powerful and I can't tell you how many times my prayers were heard and answered. So I want to encourage you to get out there and pray and ask for prayer for where two or three are gathered in his name, God is with them. Yes. So let's talk about social media. There, these are the ways you can stay connected with us throughout the week. We have several media outlets from Facebook to Instagram to Dr. Sammy's Twitter page and even our YouTube page. We are very active on social media and there are multiple ways to share the message with your friends and family and also stay connected in the community. Let's not forget about our YouTube live stream. We know that things pop up and it's not always possible to physically attend Sunday service, but not to worry because Sunday service is being live streamed weekly on YouTube, so you never have to miss another service. So say hello to the YouTube viewers. Hello. And it's also a great way to share the gospel with friends and family. Next up is small groups. Small groups are a great way to process what you heard on Sundays with brothers and sisters along the journey of faith. We know that no one is meant to do faith alone and small groups have been an amazing way to know that we are in this together. It's also a great way to um, get to know each other, grow deeper in, with, in relationship with each other and reflect and apply sermons to our daily lives. And honestly, it's so much fun. I look forward to it every week to meet with the group and you know, we just have fun doing life together. So that's great. Um, adult groups meet on Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Young adult groups meet on Thursdays at 7.30 p.m. College Fellowship meets on Mondays at 7.30. And if you need any additional info, please speak to any of the greeters in 180 shirts or hoodies. Now, this is the exciting one. Are you, are you guys ready? Okay, I, I want to introduce 180 merch, okay? I know, you've been all waiting for this. It's not exclusive anymore. You can purchase your 180 merch at the 180 Cafe. There's a variety of tops in different fabulous colors, all donning the stylish 180 um, emblem and other cool designs. Like some of them have like cool designs on the back. Not mine, but others. Um, so you can get one of those. Uh, after service, you can head straight to the 180 Cafe to purchase your new 180 shirt, hoodie, or sweatshirt. And they can be purchased with the same honor system as the devotionals. If you have any questions, you can speak to our merch designer, Andy, wherever he is. Oh, he's in the back. There he is. Um, and he can help you. And I can't wait to twin with all of you once you purchase your merch. Okay. Next, we have Day in the Sun. Our next Day in the Sun will be on May 15th at 12.30 p.m. We will be meeting at the East Pintum in Central Park. So be on the lookout for an email to RSVP. Let's pray for beautiful May weather and an awesome time of fellowship. Also, let's start thinking about the people in our lives who we can invite and share the good news with. Uh, now, for those of you with the heart to serve or feel like you're being led to serve, we have children's ministry. We need volunteers to serve, love, and teach our church's youngest members. They are really doing meaningful and soul-filling work there. My children are learning that they are God's treasures, like I told you last time. And also, my daughter always gets super excited for Sunday school. She says, oh, she loves Sunday school, so they're having a good time there. Um, they are building relationships and growing up in this community feeling loved and known, and that's really special. So if you want to be friends with our community's littlest members and be loved by me and other parents, go see Michelle Kim or Pastor Lydia for more details. 
Next, we have cafe volunteers. Coffee brings me so much joy, and I know it brings you guys joy too. So you can share some joy by serving up a cup of coffee before service. No barista skills are required. So if you want to serve or impress people with your latte art, please see Danny O or Wendy Lee for more details. And lastly, we have greeting volunteers. Who doesn't love a friendly face when they walk in? I know everybody does. And if you want to be that friendly face that brings smiles and makes people feel welcomed, this is for you. If you're interested, please see Danny O or Wendy Lee for more details. Now those are all of our announcements we have today.